This is Affliction Fiction, a podcast regarding writers and artists who quite literally make their characters sick. I'm Jennifer Horlick. And I'm not. Phew. I'm James Ewer. On this show, we analyze illnesses that exist in fictional works, such as TV, books, and film, and how they relate to the real world. And this week, we will be taking a look at Malignolita Lopterosis from the 1963 animated Disney film The Sword in the Stone. The movie is based off of T.H. White's 1938 novel of the same name, but Malignolita that was not the name. Sorry, what, what, what disease are we talking about this week, Jennifer? Malignolopterosis. Adequate. This disease only exists in the film version because in true Disney fashion, the movie resembles the book about as much as I resemble Jamie Foxx. I think it resembles the book about as much as you resemble a decent reader. Ouch! <laughs> Malignolopterosis. Malignolopterosis. So this disease is not continuously present throughout the entirety of the work, but instead comes into play in a scene closer to the film's end. An evil witch named Madame Mim challenges her nemesis, Merlin, to a wizard's duel, in which they transform themselves into various different animals in an attempt to destroy each other. And just when it appears as if Madame Mim has secured victory by turning herself into a massive dragon, Merlin transfigures into a microscopic virus and infects her, thus winning the duel. Here's how Merlin describes the symptoms caused by the pathogen that he has become. He's gone. Disappeared. Madam, I have not disappeared. I am very tiny. I'm a germ. A rare disease. I'm called Malagalitamopterosis. And you caught me, Mim. What? <laughs> First, you break out into spots. Followed by hot and cold flashes. <laughs> Then violent sneezing. What you want? Oh, you, 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 sneaky old scoundrel! As if to demonstrate that the infection is not terminal, Merlin also later describes malignolopterosis's recovery process. That was pretty good. Um. Uh, anyway. Let's play the clip. Oh, it's not too serious, madam. Uh, you should recover in a few weeks and be as good, uh, <laughs> I, I mean, as bad as ever. Uh, but uh, I would suggest plenty of rest and lots and lots of sunshine. I hate sunshine. I hate horrible, wholesome sunshine. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. So we can start off by analyzing each of the three symptoms of malignolopterosis that Merlin lists off, the first of which is breaking out in spots. The symptom of breaking out in spots, as described by Merlin, can be compared to what happens to the skin during chickenpox. Chickenpox, or varicella, is a highly contagious viral infection characterized by itchy rash and blisters on the skin. Hey, Jennifer. Yes? What do you call it when you have a room... That's very low below the ground. What? Very cellar. Like cellar. No, I get it. As in cellar to an inordinate degree. I'm silently weeping. As in a very extortionate cellar. I think we should move on. The infection usually appears 10 to 21 days after exposure to the virus and lasts from 5 to 10 days. Other symptoms besides rash include fever, loss of appetite, headache, and a general feeling of sickness and tiredness. 
The chicken pox rash goes through three phases. The first involves raised pink or red bumps that break out over several days. In the second phase, the bumps evolve into small, fluid-filled blisters. And in the third phase, the blisters turn into scabs and eventually heal. I have also gone through three phases, emo, goth, and scene. Breaking out in spots can also be compared to measles. This viral infection mainly occurs during childhood and can easily be prevented with a vaccination. At Texas. At Texas. Symptoms of measles include cough, runny nose, inflamed eyes, sore throat, fever, and a red blotchy skin rash, which could be related to the breaking out in spots aspect of malignolitolopterosis. Malignolitolopterosis. That was close. It was close, but it's what I would call bad. The symptom of breaking out in spots might also mean that a person infected with malignolitolopterosis may break out in hives. Hives, or medically known as urticaria, are red, itchy, raised welts. Causes of hives vary, and they can flare up and move around on the skin. Hives are not fun, telling from experience. I have broken out in hives far too many times, and by far too many times I mean maybe two or three times, which is enough. And I can also confirm that hives are not fun, having had a poor interaction with a bee colony. We're going to move on to hot and cold flashes. Hot flashes are sudden feelings of warmth concentrated over the face, neck, and chest. The skin turns red as if the person experiencing the hot flash is blushing. Hot flashes also provoke sweating, which can cause a person to feel chilled if they lose too much body heat. And hot flashes are the most common symptom of menopause. I would know. I don't think either of us would know. So, as we said, hot flashes can provoke sweating, and then if your body loses too much body heat... You can become chilled, which is basically a cold flash. So, hot flash, cold flash. Cold flash is the opposite of a hot flash. But aside from menopause, other causes of these flashes can include prescription drugs, being overweight, certain food allergies, and stress and anxiety. So basically, Merlin infects the witch with menopause. How unkind. And finally, Merlin lists violent sneezing as a symptom of malignolitolopterosis. Medically, sneezing is known as sternutation, and it makes sense that a synonym for sneezing has stern in it, because as a school, stern is nothing to sneeze at. And that is the only time in my life I have ever made a wholesome joke about stern. We love you, stern. We just don't want to admit it. In general, sneezing occurs when debris enters the nose and causes irritation to mucous membranes in the nose and throat. In this way, sneezing is generally a good thing since it serves to remove irritants that have made their way into the respiratory system. However, sneezing can also obviously be a symptom of a greater problem. Perhaps most notably, sneezing can be caused by infections such as the flu or the common cold, which is also known as upper respiratory infection. According to Johns Hopkins Medicine, there are more than 200 different viruses that can cause the common cold, but most often it is caused by a rhinovirus. Since malignolitolopterosis is caused by a germ, it most closely resembles sneezing fits that are induced by infections. Did you hear how flawlessly he said that word? It's almost as if I'm not Jennifer. Sneezing can also obviously be caused by allergies, which occur when the body's immune system tries to fight off foreign substances like pollen and food that aren't actually harmful in any way. There are more peculiar causes of sneezing as well. 
According to Dr. Roberta A. Pagan of the University of Washington, about 18 to 35 percent of the U.S. population faces reflexive sneezing provoked by light and sunlight. This is why some people report that bright light can cause them to sneeze. Sometimes known as photic sneeze reflex, this condition is also more technically known as autosomal dominant compelling helioophthalmic outburst syndrome, the acronym for which is ACHU, which is both cruel and hysterical. Achu. What's interesting to note about this is that it goes directly against the advice provided to Madame Mim by Merlin, who suggests that exposure to copious amounts of bright sunlight will reduce her sneezing. Typically, if someone is subject to a correlation between light and sneezing, the opposite is true. The sneezing element of telopterosis is described as violent, suggesting that the sneezing occurs excessively. There have been very rare yet notable instances of extremely excessive sneezing, but the causes of these cases are most often difficult to determine. In 2009, 12-year-old Lauren Johnson began to sneeze on average 16 times per minute. Lauren Johnson was sneezing constantly. It's been two weeks now and it just hasn't stopped. It was happening all day, every day, up to 12,000 times a day. The 12-year-old girl only stopped when she was able to sleep. The next year, Dr. Dennis Bubalis of Stamford Health attributed the sneezing to pediatric autoimmune neuropsychiatric disorders associated with streptococcal infections. This means that an error occurred in Lauren's immune system, which caused it to produce antibodies that attacked her brain tissue as if it were strep. Lauren eventually did stop sneezing, not because of rest and sunshine, but instead thanks to intravenous immunoglobulin, which strengthened her immune system. In 2015, 12-year-old Caitlin Thornley began sneezing an average of 12,000 times per day. The closest doctors came to an explanation was that the sneezing was some type of stress-induced tick. And so far, doctors at Texas Children's Hospital in Houston haven't been able to figure out exactly what is causing the uncontrollable sneezing, referring to the condition as a tick. She had kind of a funny feeling that she describes in her nose, and that piece of her history is very common for ticks. The sneezing became so excessive that it began to affect her adversely in other ways, such as pain in the abdomen and legs and a general inability to eat. Then in 2016, nine-year-old Ira Saxena began to sneeze an average of 8,000 times per day. The sneezing fits could not be attributed to allergies, and no form of treatment led to any improvement. All these cases exemplify what Dr. Clifford Bassett of NYU Langone refers to as machine gun sneezing, or an excessive number of short sneezes in succession. And according to the Guinness World Records, a woman named Donna Griffiths from the United Kingdom holds the current record for the longest sneezing fit to date, lasting 976 days after it began in 1983. It's estimated that she sneezed over one million times during the first 365 days. Okay, that is the most insane thing I've ever heard. I think the most insane thing I've ever heard is your attempt to pronounce malignolidolopterosis. Why am I being a- so attacked this episode? Hey, Jennifer. Yes? This one time, I was in this country called Maligna, and I met their president. But their president, she, she took her sister, and she threw her out of the country forcefully with her own arms. I guess you could say that Maligna's leader lobbed her own sis. How long did it take you to come up with that? One episode. I'm impressed. I'm very impressed. I'm depressed. All right. So, James, 
Why put a disease in this movie? Well, that's an excellent question, Jennifer. Artistically, malignant lithopterosis exists to contribute the moral that the film tries to express, that the power of the mind is stronger than brute force. Because throughout the movie, Merlin tries to give the protagonist, Wart, a thorough education and deters him from pursuing his current path of becoming a knight's squire. And so after numerous instances where Wart learns to escape danger using his wits rather than his strength, Merlin exemplifies this lesson himself by winning the wizard's duel, not with the immense power of a beastly animal, but by cleverly transforming into a smaller yet far more debilitating organism. In this sense, the disease itself is subordinate to the sentiment which it conveys. So while the film opted to teach this lesson using the example of a pathogen, this wasn't the only way it could have done so. During another part of the wizard's duel, Merlin turns into a mouse to frighten Madame Mim, who has become an elephant. Had the film selected this moment as the end of the duel, the same point would have been made without any need to make any characters have an illness. Thankfully, the symptoms of malignant lithopterosis are generally common and temporary, meaning that while the film did depict illness as a triumphant moment which ought to be celebrated, it did not do so using an illness which constantly and permanently makes its victims live in misery. So our basic conclusion is that the inclusion of a disease in this film is about as passable as Jennifer's pronunciation of malignant lithopterosis. It's fine. One more time. Malignolitolopterosis. Good for you. And that's all we have to say for now. But what do you think? Do you have a question or contribution to today's discussion? Do you know of a fictional illness that you'd like us to talk about? Do you have personal experience with a condition similar to a fictional one which you'd like to discuss? If so, send us an email at afflictionfiction at wnyu.org. For now, I guess I'm Jennifer Horlick. And I can assure you that I am James Ewer. Thanks for listening. And get well soon. The Sword in the Stone was written by Bill Peet and is property of Buena Vista Distribution. The Today Show is property of NBC News Productions. Good Morning America is property of ABC News Productions. Hot and Cold was written by Katy Perry, Lucas Gottwald, and Max Martin, and is property of Capitol Records. Lover's Carvings by Bibio was written by Stephen Wilkinson and is property of Warp Records.